This month's episodes are sponsored by Crossway, publisher of the English Standard Version of the Bible and many helpful Bible resources, such as the ESV Bible with Creeds and Confessions. This resource contains 13 important creeds and confessions from church history placed after the ESV text, including the Apostles' Creed, the Belgic Confession, and the Heidelberg Catechism. With introductions written by Chad Van Dixhorn, you will come away with a better grasp of history and original purpose of each historical articulation of the Christian faith. Available in True Tone, True Tone Overboard, and Premium Goatskin Leather. Learn more at crossway.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Okay, welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. We are live today on our back porch, smoking pipes, Breeze holding a baby, we are live with our friends Mason and Breeze Croggins. You guys doing good? We're doing well. Great. Good. Joby, how you doing? Doing good. Just ate a steak, so I'm very happy. We had mm. steak. So Mason and Bree, you're going to St. Louis because it's Bree's birthday, and so you thought you'd want to go to the epicenter of crime in the United States. Yes. I got my husband with me. So okay, that's good. We'd be packing. You guys are packing. <laughs> you're taking two guns with you. Yeah. Okay. That you know of. That I know of. Yeah. Well, you've got the two guns that are your arms, like me. He is really strong. And then you've got guns, actually. Okay. Well, why don't we pray and ask for a direction? We're sitting on the back porch, everybody, and so if the audio is a little bit weird, that's because the wind may be blowing. We're kind of in different you know, distances from the microphone, so there may be some, some weird audio stuff, but hopefully you'll be able to hear this conversation. We're going to pray, and then we're just going to kind of wing it a little bit and talk about life, ministry. We're going to get an update from Mason and Bree. If you were able to listen to their episode, the episode that we had with them, it was probably about a year and a half ago now, I think. Is that about a year and a half? Mm. been a while. Yeah. been a little while. I don't even know if I was pregnant. Was I pregnant? I don't think so. You're always pregnant. It's, so. <laughs> it's true, though. I don't okay. think you were. I don't think you were either. Okay, so it's been at least a year. Yeah. yeah, it's been about a year. So if you haven't heard that first interview, you can go get a little bit um, of information about Mason and Bree from that first episode, first interview we did with them, and then you can kind of catch up because I'm going to have them explain and tell us everything that's been going on for the last year and a half. But let's pray first, ask for the Lord's help. And uh, you guys down with that? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Father, we just thank you for this time. Mm-hmm. Truly, I thank you for friends and that are really family because of what you've done and the blood of Christ has united us. And so I just thank you for uh, Mason and Bree. We're just, I just feel like we're ever, forever going to be friends with them. And so just lead this conversation. I trust that you're going to. I thank you for all that you're doing in and through their life and uh, in their family. And we're just uh, blessed to be able to have this conversation. Lead us. I trust you will. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, why don't you guys just give us an update because in the, if some people remember this episode, uh, what's been going on the last year and a half? You finished school. You just graduated. You've had another baby. So Let just, me tell. Okay. Bring us up to speed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, give, it, give, me, give me that lighter if you would. Uh, I'm moving here because the smoke's in my face. Okay. So if it was a year, about a year and a half ago, um, I don't think I was ordained yet. So I'm ordained now in the PCA. Um, we're currently in a transition between pastors right now. So it's me, Dr. Long, our other elder at the church, and two other uh, borrowed elders that we have on our borrowed session. You guys are trying to get one of those revoice pastors, aren't you? No. no. <laughs> we can talk about Already it. Already going there. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so we're in transition right now. Um, the committee is moving along well, uh, finding the next candidate to be our pastor. Um, in the meantime, I lead worship every week. Um, I prepare the liturgy and just kind of, um, yeah, pastoring in a way, not officially. Um, of course, we have the borrowed session that pastors with me. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at as far as church goes. Are you preaching on Sunday mornings? Too? I'm not preaching every Sunday, okay. no. I preach occasionally. And the PCA, uh, if you're not licensed to preach, you cannot preach regularly. Mm. And that's an undefined term. Um, but yeah, I, I preach irregularly. <laughs> it's kind of a blessing, though, because he has so much the other things to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a billion things. On top of it. So he, like, the only thing he's not doing in the service is the preaching. Yeah. Unless he's preaching that Sunday, then he does everything in the mm-hmm. service besides, well, sometimes last week he led the music. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so go listen to that. Go listen to the no, recording. <laughs> is that on YouTube, or is that just, like... It's on our live stream, by the time this comes out, you won't be able to listen to it. Uh, This won't come out until like August or September or something like that. I've got a backlog, so it'll be a little bit before this comes out. Yeah, you won't get get that. Um, So yeah, that's where we're at as far as ministry goes. I've already started seminary at uh, Knox Theological Seminary, so I'm going to be doing that distance learning. Um, And the plan is... they say three to five years you can finish your MDiv. I hope to get it done sooner than that, but we'll see with having three kids and all the workload I have. I'm still full-time work, um, still working as a field and environmental scientist. Which is a complete mystery still to this day. I have no idea what you do, and I have no idea how you're a scientist. It's really, really cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's the way we'll keep it. And blog <laughs> editor for Shepherd's Crook. Yes, you're oh, yeah. the newly announced new. editor for the articles for the Shepherd's Crook and the Shepherd's Crook for Wise. Yes, so thanks again for that privilege and opportunity. That's what the stakes were for. He's yeah, treating me well. Yeah, we had uh-huh. stakes today. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's where we're at with ministry. We did have another child, Henry, David Henry Scroggins. Um, he's been born and baptized and brought into the church. And, yeah, that's where we're at. Can you think of anything <coughs> to add to that, Bree? No, I'm just over here birthing babies and <laughs> nursing babies so married and bathing six babies. Year. Three babies, six years. Three babies, six years. Two in heaven. Hmm. Yeah. How, how wonderful it would be one day to meet your babies in heaven. Mm-hmm. Boy. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. Difficult. We've not been through that. We thought we were going through that at one season. Mm-hmm. I want to get... No. Yep. But... Okay, so bring us... Here's... Uh, now... Mason and Bree are kind of flying in the dark here, and so is Joby, because I'm kind of leading this, dis- not kind of, I am leading this discussion. And <laughs> we are at your mercy. <laughs> I'm good, I'm, I'm better at winging it than most people, and I see a little bit of nervousness with Mason and Bree here, but mm-hmm. why don't you bring us up, okay, you're Presbyterian, you're Presbyterian <laughs> now, but what people don't know about you, maybe people do who are listening into this, maybe see it shared on Facebook or something, and they know your background, but you grew up in a non-denominational church of people who love Jesus and love the Lord, taught you things about the Bible and the Word, but is it's a church in a background that's totally different than the PCA. So would you give us kind of like a theological um, history, biography of the of Mason and Bree Scroggins? Like how did you arrive where you are today as an elder at a PCA church? By grace. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so we were at a non-denominational, um, it's a charismatic church, um, and... Over time, through reading the Bible more and uh, having discussions with you even and other people and just getting uh, in contact with 
some people, um, we became of a different persuasion theologically. And um, even when we left there, that's not where we're at now. So it's been, a, as Doug Wilson has said before, falling down the reformational stairway, uh, hitting our heads on every stair. Um, so as we left there, we weren't really sure where we were going to go. Um, it was kind of up in the air. Uh, we didn't align very well there, and we were going to look somewhere else. So we started looking around. There wasn't really anything in the area. I mean, we were in Omaha, mm -hmm. where there was a General Baptist Church. Oma in, Omaha, Illinois. Yeah, Omaha, Illinois, Nebraska. People. Yeah, 300 yeah. people. There's a furniture store there. Mm -hmm. There yeah. was an There's Eastern Orthodox Church there that were our neighbors, yeah. and then a General Baptist Church. So um, the options were pretty slim. Uh, so we didn't really know where we were going to go. And you and I had been talking, Jared and I had been talking, um, Which somehow, because you, I knew, I think I, How Jordan, did that happen? I don't know. We well, knew each other. But I think it was yeah. because, didn't we? We visited. Uh, we went to cross, oh, okay. cross yeah, youth group for something. And yeah. spoke at the youth group for some yeah. reason. Yeah. You did a relationship you, series or something. Yeah. Or night. And then I saw some articles you shared from like Chandler. Oh, and you caught eight me. Eight or nine years ago. And I was like, wait, wait a, minute. a minute. What's he doing here? You caught him before Piper, I even caught him. <laughs> yeah, like Piper sharing articles from Piper. I'm like, man, what's going on here? Because typically from the church you grew up in, you're not sharing articles from Piper and right, right. Chandler. It's not right. that it's bad, it's just not the Right, we weren't lining shared. up. And that was clear right. with the leadership there, too. So that's one of the reasons that we left is we just we were disagreeing about things and we wanted to be in a place where we agreed. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where we were. We were looking for a church. And then you were pastoring at a church. And maybe you can share a little bit about yeah. this. Uh, you were thinking that you were going to start pastoring a church yeah. in Carterville. And yep. we were considering joining that church. We had came at least two times, mm -hmm. if not more. Yeah, I think we came like three or four. Um, so we were considering joining there because at the time we were pretty much lined up theologically there. Um, and was it Southern Baptist? Non-denominational. Non-denominational, yep. okay. Uh, but very Baptistic, yeah. I would say. Um, so we were lining up with you pretty well. And then um, things didn't work out there. And you called me one day, or maybe texted me. I think you called me. And I remember distinctly, because I was sitting on our couch laying down. I think I was taking a nap, and you woke me up, actually. <laughs> uh, and you said, uh, no, it was great. Uh, you called and said, hey, I am thinking about planning a church. I would have told you that that was a horrible idea and talked myself out of it not too long ago, but I think that that's what I'm supposed to do. At that time, I was probably trying to convince you and Brie to move. Mm -hmm. with us it probably moved to Carbondale or something okay as well yeah probably. I, know. So we I know you were praying that we would come to your church so you're yeah. probably praying we would move too mm -hmm. yeah but we wanted to which I still would love it would be really great if well, you guys look close need to come to Evansville I know we said that before you came Indiana would be a lot neighbors. better place to move no. yeah no <laughs> you got but, too far in now you done built, built a house I know yeah. Yeah. seriously you're here. we have trees we planted that I yeah. want to see grow now yeah. so again that post mill yeah some trees we have a post millennial vision for this 325 Ashwood Lane piece of property so you planted the church um, and we were core members in the plant. Um, and somewhere along that process, not too far in, I became Pado Baptist, which. Um, through a real kink in things for us. Yeah, I sorry. Know. Mm -hmm. um, and we were going through a parenting book, and I was like, Mason, this is not covenantal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I like it. Raising uh, a. What are we going to do? We didn't finish trip. it. Oh, it was, yeah. yeah. It was uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart. It was heart. still good. Yeah. Yeah. I still liked it. Uh -huh. yeah, it was still good. Yeah. I still have it. Recommend it. So, uh, 
we decided to join anyway, kind of thinking that somehow Presbyterians and Baptists would be able to worship in the same building for a long period of but time. But this is interesting which, for which listeners. We did, though. Yeah, you did, because, and I remember this conversation, you could affirm the statement of faith, mm-hmm. and the way you, you framed it up for us is we believe in believers' baptism, we just believe in more. So we right. can affirm the statement of faith. Right. And you'd both been baptized, like, you know, actually baptized by immersion. You know, right? I've been three times baptized. Right? So that worked out well. And you guys weren't, um, you weren't everywhere you go in every conversation trying to, you know, quote unquote, convert people to pay to baptism. So it worked really well. We only do it to you. Yeah, you only do it to me. Now that we're not members anymore. Seriously, every conversation with Mason is like, you know, you're Presbyterian yet. I know. know. Come on, man. Lay off. (laughs) (laughs) Just buy me some brewskis and let's hang out. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, we we joined the church and it was fantastic. Um, We loved every minute of it and... um, then we got pregnant and everything went downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do with our child? Yeah, so so that was the the looming question. What are we going to do with our child? And we tried to actually make it work. Uh-huh. Uh, where somehow we would try to bring in like a Presbyterian minister where we could baptize. Yeah, because I was Nora. like, man, I'll be there. I'll come. But I don't feel comfortable I can't doing do that. it, but I'm not going to kick you out Yeah, the church. Like, you can bab- just baptize your own child. You know, quote, unquote, baptize your own right. child if you want quote, to. Quote, <laughs> Uh, so obviously that didn't work out, um, and it came to a time where we just had to leave. And I assume everyone knows um, that listens in pedo baptism uh, just means we believe in baptizing our infants, but I, not baptism, not baptismal regeneration. Yeah, We're so not Catholic. yeah, so right. there's a distinction in Catholic baptism and Reformed understanding of baptism. But anyway. Um, yeah, so we were at your church, and we had a baby, Anora Ann Scroggins was born, and we had to get her baptized and from we, our And we still secretly, we talk about this regularly, there is a great desire for our sons, it'd be, it'd be awesome if we had our boys marry your daughters, and then one day if we had a daughter, just we don't, next week we find out. Like, how weird and awesome would that they be if, like, all, all of our kids got married? Would that married? be weird or just straight awesome? I think it would just be straight awesome. It would awesome. be, be a little bit of weird, though. It would be a little bit of weird, but it would be really awesome, and then mm-hmm. we could all the uh-huh. third just build a house together. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, just live all together. Build a house together. We'll all live in the same, live in the same house, same property. There's so many of us by <laughs> It'll be awkward for Henry and if this is a girl because they'll yeah. feel a lot of pressure. They will. Like, uh, well, I guess we have Sometimes to. Sometimes that's godly pressure, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Um, so yeah, we started looking for um, a Presbyterian church. I had thought that PCA was best where I lined up uh, theologically, so that's where I started looking. Um, I looked at a couple other Presbyterian churches and talked to some of the ministers here in Carbondale. Um, we visited one in our city. We're still close to them. Well, I didn't know there was a PCA church in our well, city. Well, it's not PCA. Presbyterian, oh. sorry. Oh, Cumberland. Cumberland. Oh, Cumberland. Okay. We, but we, we It's like the redhead stepchild of, of Presbyterians, isn't it? Kind oh, of, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that, that local <laughs> congregation, though, in North City is great. Scott, if you're listening, uh, I love your church, and I love the people there. <laughs> good. Just in case. Just in case. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy. If you're in the North City area, which probably most of your listeners never will be, um, Good Bible Believing Church is the United Presby- or United Cumberland Presbyterian Church of North City. Um, so, uh, we started talking to some of the ministers here in Carbondale, just because that's where the only PCA church around was. 
Mm-hmm. And I talked to a guy there, and he said that he didn't think mm-hmm. his church was going to be around much longer. Mm-hmm. So he actually uh, pointed me in a different direction. He said, uh, actually, I wouldn't recommend you join our church, which is funny now because the church is uh, That's where still we meet. there. That's where you guys meet now. We, so you, we've partnered with that church. Yeah, so they're church. still standing and going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was wrong about that. The church is still going. He's up in the northeast area now, mm-hmm. the New England area. So I think he's doing well. Um, but anyway, it didn't work out there either. So he pointed us to Evansville because that was the next nearest place to us, which that might, might sound crazy because Carbondale and Evansville are two hours apart. Uh, but we were in Omaha still at this point, which is over an hour from here. So we were right in the middle. Mm-hmm. So we decided to go the opposite, complete opposite direction of Carbondale. Uh, we left Carbondale with tears um, and joined the PCA church there and have been doing ministry there since. So that, that's our story. And, and we love our things. church. Yeah, we do love our church. Great congregation. I've been blessed probably more than I've been able to give blessing back. We got a good family there. Now, theologically, if I remember right, camp wasn't there like a moment at camp where there was like a mars hill youth pastor or somebody that was preaching at camp yep that kind of kick-started all this mm-hmm. in you tell a little bit about that okay so when we were at that church we went to a they call them winter retreats uh and we went to a winter retreat and at that how was it a summer camp Mm, no, I can't it was a winter retreat. I can't remember. It was a winter retreat. And you guys were before. high school sweethearts. Like, you knew each no, other growing up. We were not high school sweethearts. I thought you were together right at the end of high school. No. Okay, we started just dating in college, in college, and we had okay. never even, we were barely acquaintances. Like, we were in the band together, but as funny as it is, we were not friends. Like, mm-hmm. we didn't hang out or anything. Like, I never hung out with him until college, ever. And Mason was in a screamo band. <laughs> he was. With the exact <laughs> kind of hair. When I you imagine what, what kind of hair a screamo band guy <laughs> has from 2000, what, like 10? 2010. Then if you want to go and creep on our pages, hair. you could probably find it. Yeah, <laughs> I've tried to remove them. I know that there will be a day when I'm interviewing at a church and someone's going to go look at my Facebook and be like, oh, yeah, we probably shouldn't go in this direction. We saw a memory. It was like from 20 years ago. And <laughs> he had a mullet. <laughs> and really, like a lot of bracelets. Yeah. <laughs> That was a thing. Jordan's still, look at this. Jordan's wearing, Jordan's still, that's her thing. That's her thing. Yeah, but everything's a boy. (laughs) Yeah, so. I feel like I remember like a really distinct mustache and piercings. I had two nose piercings. Yeah. One on one side and then I had to take that out because of family relations. My father didn't approve, nor would I at this point. uh, (laughs) Yeah. For the record. And your your dad, we we ought to talk about your dad about how awesome your dad is. Yes. My dad is like, awesome at some point. Yes. Major turkey hunter, but just more importantly, godly dude that yeah. seems Absolutely. in my mind to be like a legendary guy. Yeah. He is just from hearing yeah. stories. Jared teared up telling me a story that you told him about your dad. One oh time. man, seriously, oh, I tear up thinking about him. All it's time. just awesome. <laughs> That's the kind. Of, he's the kind of guy. Your dad's the kind of guy that leaves a legacy and is yes. leaving a living legacy yep. that just echoes into generations. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. He he fathers. He only has two sons, but he's fathered m- way more children than that. He's he's kind of the guy that grabs all the younger guys um, and that women, may have I had fathers say. or mm, not, cool. um, and just takes them in, disciples them, yeah. and just plays a really great father figure to them. Yeah. Um, I know countless people that say your dad's like a father to me. That's and, awesome. Yeah, and I, I want to be like that. that yeah. That's the kind of guy I want to be like. So, 
hopefully I can carry that legacy along and be that guy as well. There, there's something about a good man. Brian Sauvet came, you know, friends mm -hmm. were internet, you guys know Brian and Lexi. Mm -hmm. But Brian, in his opening sermon on uh, the family conference we did, he said that a bad man can ruin nations and can kill millions. And the, the power of a good man can be the opposite. You know, can, can, you know, we've seen the damaging effects of bad men. But then when you think about the ramifications of good men that God calls, and you know, there's, there's a legacy of, of, of Christian men in the Christian faith and women that we look to and say, my goodness, look what God did through them. Mm -hmm. And you know, your dad's like that. And, yes, mm -hmm. and really uh, he taught me how to skin a rabbit. Yeah, he's taught me how to skin numerous animals. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, back to the story. Uh, I like all these little rabbit trails we're going on. Speaking of rabbits, skinning them. Uh, let's skin this rabbit and get back to the story. I don't know where we were. Uh, you asked about uh, going to a conference or, or oh, yeah. we went to the winter summer retreat. Camp. Yeah, we winter. went to a summer camp and they had brought in a guy named Adam Ramsey, I believe was his name. He was the youth pastor at Mars Hill Church. Um, and most of your listeners are probably familiar with Mars Hill Church, um, a church up in the northeast. Um, the northwest. Was, yeah, sorry, northwest. Um, and they were non-denominational. Yeah, so like Calvinistic, kind of like the new Reformed idea, um, mm -hmm. I guess is what you would, the young restless yeah, reform kind of. Yeah. Where Driscoll was, yeah, everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. Mark Driscoll. Yeah. Everyone knows Mark Driscoll. Um, and that was back before Driscoll's where he's at now, which is a mystery. Um, right? Yeah. So I got connected with him. I was really intrigued by his talk that he gave on moralistic therapeutic deism. Oh. Uh, so they're giving this to high schoolers. Did he I, use that term? Yeah, he did. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget that because I was like, ooh, this guy knows what he's talking about. Uh -huh. He's like moralistic therapeutic deism. And then we listened to it and I was like, oh no, this is what we are talking about at church. <laughs> so what he was saying actually, well, I shouldn't say that. It, it wasn't that bad. Uh, but it, really it, it was stuck what out I had, to you. Yeah, it stuck out to me because it's what I had believed in. Uh -huh. So I had a moralistic therapeutic deism that I was believing, and that was kind of Christianity for me. So it wasn't necessarily the church that I was at as much as it just was me. Mm -hmm. um, and that was my understanding of the gospel. So he gave... Uh, this talk on moralistic therapeutic deism, um, how grace um, affects us, and how, what was it? It was grace and, oh, it was like the cycle of grace and the cycle of grief or something like that. Um, how moralistic therapeutic deism is a cycle of grief, whereas the true gospel um, is a cycle of grace. And I'm trying to remember all the points. But anyway, that was really, really impactful to me as a young man. Um, it was very attractive because... It wasn't this kind of really mushy Christianity. It was um, a guy that knew what he believed in and wasn't afraid to talk about it in a masculine way. Mm -hmm. So that was attractive. By the way, keep your hand down a little bit oh, when sorry. you're talking. So yeah, in my knee. You're good. Um, Were you at that conference too? I was, but it didn't stick out to me like it did him. But I also grew up in a Baptist church that was general Baptist and somewhat not reformed, but we hit some reformed people. So okay. it wasn't all like, woo, to me, but mm -hmm. it was to him. Yeah. yeah, so after I heard that, I wasn't so much um, attracted to him. I just wanted to know what that was. Mm -hmm. um, so I started looking, and I found out that he was at Mars Hill, um, and then I found out about Mark Driscoll. And man, How many guys 
This is the, the story. Of, point. This yeah. is the <laughs> story of so many countless tens of thousands, and that's why it's so sad and personal and women, to a lot of people I and to women. Like, hundreds and hundreds. Bree was never a fan. Musical podcasts. <laughs> well, there oh was there was there, there was some, and that's a missing gap. And Jordan, like her favorite preacher, just to listen to is Driscoll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I would listen to like five a day probably yeah. whenever I first found him. That's great. And so in the different age gap here, so just so you guys know, Jordan and I, I'm, we're a little bit older than Mason and Bree. I'm a, a lot older. Like How 10 old years. are you? I'm 36 and a half. 36. 36 and three quarters. <laughs> and, you sound like an eight-year-old. I mean, yeah. half. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, Jordan was just a few years. That's how, like, Jordan and Bree, you guys were just, I mean, knew each other from church. I mean, mm-hmm. right. five years apart. I went years, to the same church that they did. Right. Yeah. So four years apart. So that was the kind of connection is the, is the same church. Okay, I'm, I keep interrupting. So, Mason, go for it. Um, yeah, so I was kind of like Jordan listening to, like, five sometimes more sermons than that a day i had a job where i could pop he in he was doing all this under the table though okay. i had no clue oh closet calvinist okay yes. um, and then when he came out he came out raging <laughs> isn't it funny that yeah. he came Cage. out <laughs> Cage staging. um so yeah i was listen. i was slamming those pop mm-hmm. well they were yeah they had the app yep. back then the marshall app mm-hmm. and i was slamming those sermons mm-hmm. out and they're like an hour long piece mm-hmm. um really so i worked 10 hours a day uh, but I could pop in headphones, and I could get mm-hmm. a lot of preaching in a day, like mm-hmm. busting out a half a sermon series in a day. Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I remember, because I, I listened to, I was looking for Rob Bell when I first yep. Googled Marcel Church, and providentially I found Mark Driscoll. I was like, wait, who's this guy? And then I started, because I'd read Velvet Elvis, and I started listening. I was thinking, this is not the same thing here. <laughs> but when you start with sermons, for me, it was the first time I heard real preaching. It wasn't just straight topical. Yeah. Like, today mm-hmm. I want to talk about faith. Yeah. yeah. And so those are so the, different than anything I'd ever heard before. Yes. So different. And when you first hear expositional preaching, like, and especially coming from like a Driscoll's personality, you're like, oh my gosh, I've never heard preaching in my life until I've heard mm-hmm. this. Verse by verse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, so I... That's same same thing. Not just was it compelling preaching that uh, was r- just really good, but I'd never heard preaching from mm-hmm. the Bible that was, all right, we're going to look at the book of John. Mm-hmm. That was yeah, unheard of to me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once I heard it, it was like, why doesn't everyone preach the Bible? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why are we preaching what like topics that are just popular? Are why are we, so why are we letting here? culture mm-hmm. um, decide what we preach on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Uh, why aren't we just preaching what God has told us in the book? Mm-hmm. So that was very attractive to me, and I was going through sermons like crazy with uh, Mark Driscoll. I don't know how far you wanted me to go with that story. No, that's but, fine. Yeah. But that was the entry point, was hearing that. And, and the neat thing about this is so often if you get opportunities to preach, and what I encourage guys to do is to take every opportunity you have. When I first started, started preaching, or just the desire to teach the Bible, I, it was like any opportunity I had, if it was three ladies at a nursing home, I'm going to preach, you know, and you don't ever know the the effect, you know, this guy doesn't know your story, you know, the yeah. guy that, that preached at that is probably, just, this is another it's youth group true. story mm-hmm. of going to a youth camp or conference in, Australia now. and preaching, he's in Australia now, okay, so that's cool, and he has no idea that God got a hold of your heart and the effect that that has on Providence Church in, in, in Indiana, most importantly, the effect that it has on the Scroggins family yeah. mm-hmm. and your children, and if you think about that, there, there's so much that God does that we never know. Yeah. And that guy never know, He has no idea. Yeah. And uh, that's powerful. Yeah, and I think know? he only gave like two talks. Huh. Mm-hmm. And that that was really the pivotal point. Um, I was getting a little bit more serious 
um, like all Christians do when they decide to get serious about Christianity, they read Mere Christianity uh, by C.S. Lewis. So I was working through that, and that was about the extent of my seriousness. Uh, but once I heard that, it really gave me a love for preaching from the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really just a love for the scriptures. That yeah. It was more than just topics. Christianity just wasn't these uh, couple topics that we talk about often. It's a whole worldview that is given to us in a book. You know what, what first got me when we planted our church in 2008? The first church I planted. It was two and a half years. In, in ministry for Jordan and I, because I met Jordan those first two and a half years. It's like two and a half year blocks. If you've been listening for a while on the podcast, you kind of know a little bit of our story. But the first thing that got a hold of me was the authority and the sufficiency of the scripture where I remember thinking, like, it really doesn't matter what I grew up with, really good things. It doesn't really matter what my presuppositions are. It doesn't matter what I think or what I feel. What does God have to say about this? And if we can get a group of people that just say yes to what God says, then it can be a transformative group. I mean, just what does God have to say? And that and then the grace of God, which really the grace of God got a hold of me before I was like a theological nightmare. I was like, you know, I told told you a little bit about this, but I was listening. To, I was like reading Mark Driscoll and Gregory Boyd, and was an open theist for a while. And it was, God, but it was God's grace through the Book of Galatians that got a hold of me. And then that's what God did to draw me in. And then the sufficiency, the authority of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture, all of that, when it comes to hearing God speak, got me. That was what got me in 2008 and nine, and really has been a defining moment. God's grace and the sufficiency of the scriptures just, I mean, changed my life forever, you know. But okay, let's talk. So you're a part of the PCA. We're a part of the SBC and Sojourn Network. And depending upon who you talk to, well, almost everybody, I don't want to speak for the PCA. I'll let you do that. The wind is picking up here, folks, by the way, so if you hear the wind, then this is your, we're inviting you into conversation on our, on our back porch. That's why you hear the wind. <laughs> but there are some sh- shenanigans going on in the SBC and um, in the PCA as well with, like, Revoice. So the SBC, it's all the intersectionality. It's all the, the, the racism, systemic racism, that kind of stuff. Um, and light complementarianism or soft complementarianism or, a.k.a. egalitarianism by people who want to call it complementarianism still. Um, in denominational life, and you can trace this back in history, there was a big movement, Martin Lloyd-Jones versus John Stott in the 60s um, in the Church of England. Wh- what do you do? Do you go independent or do you stay in and do you fight? I just had a pastor talk to me two days ago about the SBC and Illinois Baptist, and how do you navigate denominational difficulties and how do you know whether to stay and fight or just to run, to go and find a new denomination or find, what's the line and how have you guys processed some of the difficulties you faced in the PCA? Because the BCA is still so solid in so many ways. And the SBC, and, and to be honest, is solid in a lot of ways. Yeah. But there's just things that I'm really uncomfortable with, that Jordan and I are uncomfortable with, that our church is uncomfortable with. How do you know? Do you leave quietly or do you fight and just literally cause a huge dust up? What do you think? Um, there's a time for both. Good. And I would have to think through that to answer that more clearly. And I think it, it'll depend on the congregation and a lot of different factors. Um, but if it comes to a point where we can't teach and preach the Bible as it says what it says, I mean, if we can't do that, then it's time to leave, obviously. 
Um, and that might just mean getting kicked out. It might right. mean mm -hmm. doing what you're doing. And rather than having to make that hard decision of are we going to stay and fight or are we going to leave, they might make it for you and say you're done. Okay, um, wait, no, 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 let's use that and focus the conversation. Because okay. we talked about this about the Sojourn Network. Do we quietly walk away? Soft complementarianism is the big issue in, so in Sojourn Network. Do we quietly walk away or do we get more vocal and wait till we're kicked out if that would ever happen? So that's kind of what you're saying, like well, with the denominational yeah, I would, life. I would do you say just... that if you're able to worship in a biblical way. Yeah, okay. I would say I wouldn't necessarily make either of those decisions based on what they were doing and thinking. I would just say, do what you're called to do. I mean, does that mean that you need to be loud and clear about what you believe, or does it mean being quiet? And I think most of the time, it's we preach loud and clear what the Bible says all the time, okay. wherever we're at. Um, so yeah, obviously that comes out a little bit. I mean, you're going to be preaching on texts um, that you feel are for your con congregation, so different things are going to come up, and yeah, it, it just depends on where you're at, really. Okay, well let I me mean, press So like, you're going to have to pick a book of the Bible, and you're going to have to hit all those points there. Some points you're going to hit louder than others, um, and that'll depend on your congregation, your context, and everything, but you should never be quiet on an issue. Yeah because your denomination might get mad about it. You should always preach clearly what the Bible says, and I don't think you should ever tiptoe around issues. Okay, so let's think locally and nationally and globally then. I don't know if the PCA has a global presence. Are there PCA churches in Africa? Or is it mainly a North American? Uh, so the PCA it's is in America, in America, but there's like Presbyterian Church in Japan, there's Presbyterian Church in Brazil. Um, Connected? Work, they work very closely. They're not the same denomination, though. Okay, so... A lot of times what's happening at a national level or a global level isn't felt as much at a local level. Like local parishioners, our church members at Christ Church Carbondale, there are some members who know that we're Southern Baptists, but we don't have a huge, we don't regularly talk about Southern Baptist life. Or they don't know about what's going on in the denomination. You know, So pastors are more in tune to what's going on at a, at a bigger scale level. So... What if, for instance, the denomination was, like several years ago, Kevin DeYoung was in the RCA, the Reformed Church of America, and he was one of the last conservative voices in the denomination, and they stayed. Mm -hmm. Now, at a local level, denominational life as a whole probably wasn't affecting their local congregation as much. Like, they were there, and like, yeah, we're a conservative church, we believe in the inerrance of Scripture. So at what point does the pastor have to inform, here's what's going on, and maybe we don't know, because we're just kind of we didn't prepare this, so I mean, we're just kind of winging, like I said, winging it a little bit. But at what point does the pastor have to say, here's what's going on. Do we want to keep giving money to the denomination when this is going on? How, how, where's that line? Because right now, we give money to the Sojourn Network. We give money to, to, to Southern Baptist Convention. And with that money, they're using it for missions and for church planning. And the training for both the missions and church planning is coming from the denomination whom we are funding. And that kind of training is training that I don't think is the best sort of training. So we're giving to a denomination that I think could be doing things better. And and they're emphasizing things like that I don't think should be emphasized. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if it's like that with the PCA. I don't know if Providence is giving money. Yeah, so the, all of that is voluntary. Like you don't have to pay your PCA dues. 
Okay. Um, is that the way that the Southern Baptists? It is like percentages. Is? Like we give ten percent to IBSA, which goes to the cooperative program. It goes into different, several different ent entities, um, but we don't have to. Okay. And so we're we're talking about the possibility, like in the beginning stages of thinking through, mm -hmm. what would it look like to redirect that mm -hmm. to some other places. And like with the Sojourn Network, though, we give a percentage, like four and a half percent or three and a half percent, to churches that are planting. And the emphasis of the network is different than what it was when we first got in. Yeah. I'm going to have people that are listening, guys that are listening, that are pastors within the network, who are knowing know that know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, there's emphasis shift. And so there's a different network now. That, wouldn't yeah. you say that, babe? Oh, yeah. It's a big difference. And so at what point do you have to really reevaluate to say, our people are in good faith, you know, giving money, and we as a congregation are giving money. So it's just hard. It gets dicey, you know. Like, do you get louder and louder and intentionally fight and open yourself up to ridicule, which opens your congregation up to possible ridicule? Or, I mean, historically, that's the way reform comes. If you want yeah. real reformation... Right. Um, right. Then yeah, that's that's the way you got to do it. Uh -huh. um, knowing what battles you're fighting and how to fight them, though, it comes through a lot of prayer, and I think it has a lot to do with your context as well. So I don't know if there's a fast and hard answer to the and question. Preparing your congregation is what I'm thinking of too. Like if you're gonna fight with your family, you're gonna prepare your children for that fight. You're mm -hmm. not gonna allow them to go into a fight unarmed. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So if your congregation isn't ready to fight either. And it might be more than they're even ready for it. Then like you might need you to could sit quiet some, for a while. You could do some damage uh, to a congregation by going in hot and heavy mm -hmm. when they have no idea what's going on. Okay, let me throw this out and let me just see if you guys agree. Okay, all three of us. Jordan and I have talked a lot about this, but I think almost every theological battle in a church and a denomination can be traced back to one central issue, which is... Do you actually believe in the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture or not? And a lot of theological nuance that comes out from articles, periodicals, whatever it may be, position statements, typically be, seems to me to be theological nuance to try to soften the blow to society that the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture brings. So the clarity of Scripture speaks into a culture, and that culture hates it. So we try to polish it up and clean it up and create theological nuance to soften the blow to the world, or to even other Christians, to say, "Oh, it, well, it sounds like that, but it, it doesn't really mean that." Do you buy that? That like a lot of these, a lot of the things that are happening in denominational life today, and many denominations, has to do with, are you? Do you really just? Are you embarrassed of the scriptures, or are you not? Because if you're not embarrassed of the scriptures, you can just say it plainly and speak to these issues clearly. Um, why do we have to try to clean it up? It, I mean, you, you track where I'm. You know, do you under, see where I'm going with that? Yeah, yeah. We should never be embarrassed or apologetic or apologetic of the scriptures now I do think that you have to have wisdom the way you're communicating the scriptures um, I think sometimes people can go on the far other end of the spectrum and just beat people in the head with it and kind of get a little bit of giggle out of the fact that you just tick someone off right um, and you don't want to do that either that is not right uh, carrying the gospel in a kind and generous way um, so yeah I think it just like I said, through a lot of prayer. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a great answer to that question, really, other than just it really takes knowing your flock well to shepherd them well. Um, and the flock is generally, I mean, they're all the people of God, um, but every flock has different 
distinctives and characteristics about it that might not be in another place. So I think it just comes to knowing your body well. Yeah. And treating, leading, shepherding your body the way that is going to be most helpful to them. Okay. Let's talk through a couple topics. And let's just say, is this a hill to die on? Why or why not? Okay. Complementarianism has a, a broad spectrum right now. Let's just call it patriarchy, okay? And let's just call it biblical understanding of manhood and womanhood, all right? And you can put whatever label you want to to that. Patriarchy, just real complementarianism, biblical manhood and womanhood, whatever. Is that a hill to die on? Let's just say um, the application of complementarian theology can be applied in many different ways. Um, some people say within the complementarian um, umbrella. Uh, is the specifics of manhood and womanhood, is that a hill to die on? Why or why not? Um, yes, I think it is a hill to die on, but it depends on your definition of okay. complementarianism. Like it, when you start bringing all the nuances in of soft and hard complementarianism, it depends on what you mean. Um, we want female preachers, no, but we want to be complementarian. Well, that's not complementarian. Okay. <laughs> the epistles are very clear okay. on what complementarian is. May not use that word, but the epistles are very clear. So go read your New Testament. Do the Bible reading challenge. You'll read those really quickly, and you'll see a very big theme of womanhood, manhood, yeah. patriarchy. Yeah. And you'll find real quick that either your view does or doesn't line up with that. Okay, Amy Bird just wrote a book. Do men and women... Is the only pursuit Christ-likeness, or is there masculine pursuits of Christ-likeness and feminine pursuits of Christ-likeness? Is that a hill to die on? So, uh, say the question again. Okay, Amy Bird just came up with a book I haven't called... haven't read the book yet. Okay, so I, I've not read it either, okay. I've just read... But she, her book has caused a big dust-up. She's in the PCA, and she wrote a book called Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Mm -hmm. I didn't know you had to recover from anything that's biblical, yeah. but apparently mm -hmm. she does. Um, and in that, she said the pursuit of the New Testament for men and women, this is the gist of it, is the pursuit of Christ-likeness, not necessarily biblical manhood or biblical womanhood. A pursuit of Christ-likeness should lead to obedience, which means following what the Bible says to do in your femininity or masculinity. Okay. You can't disconnect the two, in my opinion. Right. I, well, I agree. Right, yeah, so following Christ looks different for Bree than it does for me. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not going to be nursing our children. You're not mm -hmm. nursing? Because I I've don't. heard that there's a, an exception where some men can nurse. Oh. Really? <laughs> some men can have periods. Have you not heard about this? <laughs> I haven't heard about this. Okay. Then they are. According to the PCA According to, according to, you know, uh, what popular, popular, popular ideas, yeah, like, the, the leading experts of the country say that some men can have periods and some women can, you know, well, I don't know. Uh, Just can, stop there. Yeah, I don't know. It's all convoluted. It's a mess. It's a mess. There's a hill to die on. Okay, there's hills to die on. But that's all downstream. You know, yeah. like, if you if you start to fudge on what it means to be a man or a woman, what's the next jump? Like, well, gender doesn't matter. I mean, you see the confusion that's happening today in our world, I think, is just a, a, a hyper-development of the confusion of feminism and then pastors coming along and saying, yeah, yeah, there's something to this And is it possible years. that we've had a generation of people who haven't read their Bibles, uh -huh. that we've followed yes. emotional cues uh, yep. for our Christianity and um, cultural cues for our Christianity and not actually pursued reading and knowing our Bible and haven't had pastors that have been encouraging that and teaching that? 
and then where we are today is because we're like, well, God wouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. Or you just need to listen. Yeah. You know, just just listen to those who have experienced and walked in in shoes that you've not walked in. And if you'll listen long enough, you'll grow in empathy and you'll finally understand their experience with life or their oppression or whatever it may be. Um, so, uh, it's a hill to die on, like like what the Bible says. So, like specific commands, like obey God. That's a hill to die on. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I think just following the if you lose the biblical idea of masculinity and femininity, then you're straight to egalitarianism. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, it's a hill to die on, and those distinctives matter too. Like. Mm. I think if you're at a point in your church where you feel like you can't preach Ephesians 5 uh, because it'll <laughs> cause a church split, then it's too late. Um, you haven't been faithful enough to shepherd your congregation in the Bible. I mean, mm-hmm. teaching them the scriptures. So, yeah, I think that there's a hill to die on. Um, and it, like I said, it depends on every congregation. Some churches have heard Ephesians 5 and all the other scriptures their whole life, and it's just a given. Mm-hmm. But other churches... Um, they haven't heard it. They need to be shepherded in that, and you can't just blow it up by saying, Ephesians 5 teaches this, boom, you're done, uh, yeah. and you beat them over the head with it. You, I think you have to shepherd them, and part of shepherding is not beating people with it. It's disciplining them, mm-hmm. slowly bringing it into them. And are right. you creating a teachable congregation? Because there's so many people now that say, well, what God told them, that was really nice. I'm sorry, that's really gross. Sorry, <laughs> listeners, you heard me hawk up a loogie there. <laughs> Um, how can you say what God has told them? And you've had this run-in, I know, on your Facebook page recently. Yeah. And, well, we can say what God says because he has said it, and it's mm-hmm. done. Right. <laughs> so we take everything to the word. And is your congregation teachable, or are they saying, well, this is what I think the Holy Spirit's telling me to do? Right. Mm-hmm. Or are they teachable in the sense that, okay, maybe they haven't heard Ephesians 5. Maybe they grew up in church, and their pastor never spoke on Ephesians 5, and they don't really have that. But are they teachable? Are they going to be able to contact the pastor or the elders and say, hey, I want to question you about this? Because I know our congregation is. I mean, I know you, you might have your people, but um, I know that there's a relationship there to where if Mason were to preach something and someone was like, I don't know about that, they'd come to him and they'd be able to discuss with him in a friendly manner. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if our church wasn't like that and we said, we're leaving the PCA because... Uh, they're getting liberal and they're they're not complementarian. Um, I think you could cause a big stink in a church and probably cause. I know you could cause a church split. So you got to yeah. be careful with that too, realizing that the the local body is not the denomination. That there's they're a part of a greater body and they need to realize where we're at. And that uh, greater body is a part of the church. Right, body, right. So yeah. Don't get so denominationally hung up. Yeah. Okay. Let's switch gears. We're 44 minutes in, and I want to get to this because this conversation is going to ramp up more and more and more, and there's going to be more and more discord that's sown online and in churches, and I want to coach people who are listening through this and pastors and wives who are listening. I want to do what I can to have a cordial conversation about masks. Okay, Mask is going to be a big deal <laughs> coming into the fall. It's already a big deal here in Illinois. Wherever you're at, there's everybody's got an opinion on it. And one of the things I encouraged our people with Sunday is that this is the Romans 14 issue. If you want to wear a mask, go for it. But don't tell me that I have to wear a mask or I don't love people. How, how, can, you think, how can we think through, through the lens of the Scripture, 
how do we have a mass conversation as leaders within the church? Um, and how do we coach our people? Because they're walking out of the doors. And like in our church, we don't wear masks. I mean, not a single person has yet. And they can if they want. That's fine. It's no big deal. But we're going to get continue to get bombarded with this, well, you don't love people if you're not wearing masks. And, and I've seen Jesus. so many pastors. What would Jesus, Jesus. do? What would Jesus do? <laughs> Goodness. I say that all the time. He would definitely people that not... don't read their Bibles are he, telling yeah. me what Jesus would oh do. My He'd gosh. wear a mask. <laughs> yeah. How about he would lay hands on the sick and he wouldn't be terrified right. of them? Right, exactly. My goodness. Um, how, how do we have this mask conversation without uh, the church being completely divided on it? Um, what do you mean? How do we have the conversation? Okay, like there are people, and how I've you, seen how this do you online. Masks from the pulpit? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, like I saw a pastor <laughs> online the other day that said, not just just yesterday actually, maybe this morning, this a pastor morning. that I know that said basically just just wear masks. You should wear masks. This is the Christian position to wear masks. And I almost wrote him and you know and told him what I think about it about that. Which, in short, I think that's really stupid. Um, you can wear a mask if you want. If you don't wear a mask, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but ha- that position is going to continue to come across to what I just said. To wear a mask, to not wear a mask is okay. And people are going to say, wait, what? It's just wearing a mask. How can we maintain a position where it's okay one way or the other? Don't judge each other about it. You teach them the biblical principle of not binding someone's conscience. Okay. Because um, if someone's conscience isn't bind- or bound about wearing a mask, who are you from the pulpit to come and say the Bible says you should wear right. a mask because the Bible doesn't say you should wear a mask. Mm, right. um, I think you can make really strong biblical arguments um, contrary to that. Yeah. Saying that actually right. that's not the biblical practice. The biblical practice would be if you're going to go this route that we quarantine the sick, not quarantine the entire population. Yep. And masks are a form of quarantine. Whether mm-hmm. people recognize that or not, it is a form of requiring healthy people to make Again, this is people are going to come back unnecessary steps that the Bible would not require of us. And where does it stop? Are we yep. going to do vaccines next? Are we going to start saying everyone in our church must vaccinate to come to church? I, I don't think you do that. Yeah, <laughs> I know you don't do that. Right. Um, right. If you are, if you think everybody should be wearing a mask and you're scared to get out of your house, then you stay home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just how it is. Uh-huh. I mean, I know that that sucks to hear, but. Was it Chocolate Knox that said something? He had a meme when he had the mask. That's one of the best like, things about 2020 my, is the great memes. <laughs> I don't even know. You'd have to look it up. Just look up Chocolate Knox on Instagram and look for his mask meme, but it's good. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to remember to put that in the show notes. I <laughs> yeah. probably won't remember, but <laughs> you can find it now. You've got the internet. You're smart people. You guys, they can figure, find that out. But at the same time, you don't want to be the church that is the anti-mask church. Exactly. Just like you don't want to be the anti-vax church. Right. Yeah. Like if somebody yeah. walks in wearing a mask, they f- should not feel shamed. Right. Right. Because right. we've gone through this at our church. Yeah, we, we have people that wear masks. Right. And we borrow or we rent our building. And so mm. the church that we rent from, we've had to be respectful with. Um, but mm. when they tell us we can't sing, mm. we're going to put up a fight mm-hmm. because that's that's part of our worship. Mm-hmm. So um, we've been respectful in things that they've told us we need to do. But... We're going to worship God, and we ultimately are going to answer to Him. Agreed. So I asked Ransom this a while back, and I asked our church this. It's amazing how simple this is. Are we to obey God or man? Are you asking me? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. God. It's that simple. Yeah. There's a big movement that says, well, you obey man unless they tell you not to preach the gospel. Right. 
But what if there are commands that you have them up against the commands that the government's giving you? Do you say, oh, well, I'm going to go in the government because Romans 13. It, like, here's the thing. Everybody knows, for instance, when it says children obey your parents in the Lord, that if, and I got this from Matthew Trulia, uh, Truella, if a dad says, hey, son, I want you to go rob that bank because if I do that, I'll go to prison for life. But if you do that, you'll go to juvie for six months. The appropriate response, and even though God said, children obey your parents and Lord, or to a husband and wife, Hus wives submit to your husbands. If the husband tells the wife to go rob a bank, she should not submit to that. Right. And everybody knows that. Now, when we're told to submit to governing authorities, it seems like everybody thinks, well, that's unconditional. Submit to whatever the state says, whatever the law says, and it's just completely unconditional. But if they tell us to do something that God tells us not to do, right. we shouldn't submit to that. Right? right? Mm -hmm. So what if the husband tells the wife, I want you to wear a mask? <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I'd say that she should probably, because I don't think there's clear commands one or the other. She should right. honor that. She, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think she shouldn't put so up a fight. She can have a conversation. But I think your she should Bible comes in yeah. handy. Because yeah. there's too many people on the internet that don't read their Bible, that don't know biblical consistency, that are throwing out their opinions or their mm -hmm. laws saying you need to do this and you need to do that and this is what Christ would do. And I would say, go read your Bible. Yeah. Listen to Jordan and Jared, or Jordan and Lexi's Yeah, listen girl. to the Fruitful and Fearless podcast. Yeah, read your Bible. Girl, go your Bible. Um, and I think a lot of it too is like, well, I'm going to wear a mask so that I will appease the loud narrative that's happening and that, um, you know, I won't come against <laughs> scrutiny. Yeah, uh, that's a virtue signaling thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and a lot of it is Christians need to be brave. Like, we yeah. should... We just watched The Chosen and Say What You Will About It. It was parts that were really good. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing that was really cool about it at the end is that you just see that when the disciples followed Jesus, it was a really courageous act that they were doing. They knew that they were going to come against mm -hmm. Romans and Pharisees and people were going to hate them and want to kill them and kill Jesus. And, um, and we have small things compared to what they did to follow Christ. And we should be braver. Yeah, there is a there there is a desperation in the average person. I, I correct me if I'm wrong, a desperation to be liked by as many people as possible. Yes, and it's so silly. And Who cares? If you're not, if somebody's wow. upset with you, it is in 2020 almost the worst thing that you could experience in life. Oh my gosh, somebody's. Ex <laughs> that's why there are so many people that are just virtue signaling with everything is because they want to be accepted. They want to be liked. I don't want to appear to be contrarian to anything. More than they really want answers to questions, they just want to be liked. Right. And if 2020 taught us anything, it should teach us to do research. Yeah. <laughs> to use our brains. To use you your You have brains. Google. Learn how yeah. to use it rightly. Yeah. Read the, good the articles. stuff that's not censored out. somehow. Right, <laughs> right. you got to know go which ones go. are valid. Yeah. Watch the high wire. Um, yeah. But figure things out. Learn. Use your brain. Don't just follow along. Because yeah. it's... Yeah, if things don't change, our culture is going to have us following along into a lot of things that are unbiblical. I saw another meme recently that said it was a camp, an encampment behind barbed wire, and it said virus-free zone. And it, people are lined who up did to it, get and in. people were like lining up to get in. <laughs> and how quick a, a society can be brought to the point where, honestly, if they had if they had virus-free camps that were behind, you know, big huge walls. I think people would be lined up like, oh, we're, I'm going. I'm going. I'll get on that train. I'll go there. Let's go to that area because it's virus-free. Mm -hmm. And you have to think number one biblically, but then use your brain. I mean, we, we like 
Nobody's a renaissance man anymore. Nobody's a renaissance woman anymore who can think beyond one single discipline. And it seems like whatever area people are trained in or whatever area people are not trained in, ouch. Sorry, I just got burned by hot coals from this pipe. Um, I'm a novice pipe smoker. Just built it on his Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, it, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I have to just listen to the experts. Right. Okay, well, what experts are you listening to? What news channel are you listening to? You can actually look at studies and look at cases and figure out how many people... You can figure this out. We're smart human beings. You can read. Yeah. You should be wise and ready also for those kind of confrontations because mm -hmm. if you look at the life of Jesus, that's like everything he did. Mm -hmm. Jesus, time after time... He's being quizzed by mm -hmm. the Pharisees. What are you going to do? Who are trying to trap him. They're trying mm -hmm. to trap him. Yeah, you, you go look at uh, Mark 12. I was reading Mark 12 the other day where the Pharisees come to Jesus. And he's about to tell the parable of the tenants. And the Pharisees come to him and said, uh, We know that you're true and that you do not care about anyone's opinions and you don't look at people's appearances. Now, well, that, that alone right there. Yeah. Today, that kind of stuff would still get, that would get Jesus crucified again. I mean, just right there. You don't care about what people think? How mean of you. Yes. So the, the Jesus-like principle is don't care about people's opinions mm -hmm. and don't look at appearances and base your actions off of what everyone is doing. Yep. So Christian behavior if you're looking at Christ, is living that way, being ready for the Pharisees, being ready for the virtue signalers to come to you and say, what are you going to do with this? Yeah. Yeah. But you also need to know your Bible enough, have thought and prayed about it well enough to be able to give a witty answer like mm -hmm. Jesus does. Yes. There's a yeah. line. Go ahead. There's a line. I, I think I heard it originally from Jared Wilson, but it was the same sun that melts the ice, hardens the clay. Mm-hmm. And it was in reference to the parables. I think where that it, was uh, Spurgeon, actually. Okay, it was probably Spurgeon, because everybody <laughs> has a witty quote. If you just you trace Spurgeon. it back, it was Spurgeon. Right. Or C.S. Lewis. It was C.S. Lewis or Spurgeon. But, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. There's nothing new under the sun. That's a good point. Um, so there's there's going to be, if, if, we, if we're men and women of conviction that stand with the Scriptures and just say, here's what God has to say about this, and... We commune with Christ in the scriptures, and there is a, a, a heart of compassion and love to people if there's truth and love. I think there's always going to be people, if we have a Christ-like posture to anything, that hate it and can't stand it and just literally want to persecute us for it, and may actually persecute us for it. But there's going to be a group that also thinks, huh, how strange. There was a Me Without You album a few years ago. <laughs> or no, it wasn't Me Without You. It was uh, How Strange, Innocence. I think that was like... Who was that? It had an album named How Strange Innocence. It wasn't Me Without You. No, it was an all-instrumental yeah. band that was really big a few years back. That was, oh man, it will come to me. And, but anyways, How Strange, somebody who believes in what they're talking, believes in this stuff, that believes in something objective outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And if we continue down the path of you got your truth, I got my truth, you do your thing, I do my thing, it ends with societal rot. Uh, it just absolutely ends with complete chaos and utter chaos. But if we can be men and women of conviction of the word, then we can approach any situation and say, well, what is, let's step back for a minute. Let's evaluate. Let's process the information that's at hand. What does God have to say about this? And then move forward. Mm -hmm. And who cares what people think? If we're, if we're living for the glory of God, not the exactly. glory of man, Why do you care? then honor God. And the answer, I think this might bring some more clarity, too, with what, what do you say when someone comes to you. I think it depends on who it is. Because if you look at Jesus in the Gospels, his answer is not always the same to his disciples mm -hmm. that it is to the Pharisees that are uh, trying to yeah. 
slam him. They're yeah. trying to trap him, and Jesus knows that. Mm-hmm. And I think that most pastors out there know that mm-hmm. the, the person questioning them, they know which side they're on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the parishioner comes to you and says, Pastor, what do we do with this? The pastor comes along gently and says, this is what the Bible says. That's um, So they bring pastoral shepherding advice, and they say, this means this, this means that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you have the virtue signaler coming to you trying to trap you, you don't give them what they want. You don't answer the fool according to his folly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do sometimes answer the yeah, fool according right. to his folly. So it, it depends on the person asking you, um, what are you going to give them? It, it, your answer is really going to depend. And I guess that's kind of why I've kind of been back and forth on giving you a straight answer. What do you do when someone comes to you? Well, it depends on who it who is, is that's, that's coming to you. Because if they're coming just to trap you, then don't give them what they want. Yeah. Um, well, what's the Proverbs that say, answer a man according to his folly, and then... Lest he be wise in his own eyes. Answer a fool according to the folly, or yeah. according to his folly. Or do... Sorry. It's no. don't answer a fool. A fool you just quoted it. Yeah. 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 Lest you be like him. We just yeah. read Luke twelve twelve the other day, that the Holy Spirit will give you what to say in that time. And so I think being versed in the Bible, just like, focus on Christ. Focus on the, his word and trust the Holy Spirit will help Yeah. in that time as well. Yep. Um, and it, it's just amazing that we're, we're living in a culture where there's not truth. Yeah. And so I have a friend that is constantly posting like questions and things on Instagram. And I'm sure she gets annoyed with me because I'm like, well, the Bible says this. There is answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that is hopeful to people, even though that they're not seeing it in this moment, like continue to give Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what we're talking, we'll wrap it up with this, that presuppositional apologetics can be so helpful in this moment by being able to say, okay, you're, you're basing what you're saying on a premise of uh, you, you believe what you're saying is right and true. Why do you believe things are right and true? You know, somebody who's out there just virtue signaling or whatever, like by what standard are you saying what you're saying? And trace that back. Do what you can to help them see, wait a minute, what's the standard by which I'm saying what I'm saying? And bring them to truth. Confront them with the truth of the scriptures and that God exists. And a lot of good stuff, though, guys. This has been fun. I wish we could do this more often. Yeah. yeah. Any final thoughts? Anything that you guys are thinking? Oh, I wish I would have said that. I wish I could have. I have to feed a baby. And you have to feed a baby. Okay. Real life. Sure you don't want me to. Yeah. Sure you don't want me to. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, Mason, Bree, before you head off, Bree, just say bye. Thank you for. Bye. There you Thanks, go. Guys. Everybody, Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.